seeing as it's January 1st, we wanted to take this chance in the new year to, to kind of heat up um, a new value for our church that we want to focus on this year. So we've done that the past couple years. So does anyone know what we were trying to heat up last year? Well, that's that's actually this year, continuation from last year. So last year, um, our CTF team did a sermon series called Written on Our Hearts, and, and we really loved that, and we ran with that and did several sermons scattered throughout the year of this idea of written on our heart, hearts, that um, Scripture should be so meaningful and important to us that um, it re- really changes us and is truly written on our hearts. The year before that, we really tried to heat up this Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy idea of having uh, mentors, friends, peers, and, and people that you're mentoring in your life and building up those kind of relationships. Um, so yeah, we just we want to use this new year as a chance to uh, get our church hyped up about a topic and then throughout the year continue to focus on that and check in on that um, and just make sure we're all really living that out. So yeah, the theme this year, as Aaron said, is gospitality. Um, so that is a made-up phrase. Um, that is a smash-up of the words gospel hospitality. Uh, so who here was at our church retreat a couple months ago? Most of us. So uh, if you were there, uh, you know we invited Bill Watson, a pastor in the Dallas area, to come and speak to our church. And as I was talking to him, we kind of offered him to speak about whatever he wanted to, whatever he thought would be best. And um, the idea he pitched to us was this idea of hospitality as an expression of the gospel. And he was just talking about how we see throughout Scripture that hospitality is propped up as one of the the strongest evidences of the gospel in someone's life um, and one of the the most important ways to live that out to the world. And so if you were there, you know we were all very encouraged and challenged by those messages. And we want to take this idea of hospitality and continue to run with it and, um, yeah, really work towards being a church that's filled with people who offer our homes and lives to others around us. And um, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to kind of reheat that up and talk about that both this week and next week. Um, so I'm just going to start by doing a short talk on, on why hospitality matters, um, just to kind of give us a vision for why this is even important, why it's something we should care about. And then we'll do some discussions, and then Melissa's going to kind of focus more on the practical of how we implement that in our lives and various barriers to that. So I'm going to talk about three reasons why hospitality matters. And the first reason is because it's what God does. Hospitality matters because it's what God does. And this is straight out of the first talk that Bill Watson gave us. So God, in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, so the very start of our Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God, we see, is creating life, order, and light out of this earth that's described as formless, empty, and dark. So he creates life, order, and light out of death, chaos, and darkness. And he builds this home. We see throughout the rest of that chapter that he lovingly crafts this home, this good home, And then he doesn't just sit and enjoy it by himself, but he creates us and invites us to live in this home that he's built for us, that we have no right to. And we bear his image, it tells us in Genesis. And so we're called to go and create these kind of homes just like our creator God does. And so as as Christians, we want to be people who create homes and lives 
that are an image of what God intended for all of creation to be. And then we can't just hoard those homes and those lives that we've built for ourselves. We have to go out into the world and invite others in to those homes. People who might have no claim on these things that we think we've earned or that we have the right to, um, we can we can generously give of these things that we have that God's given us. So that's the first point. It matters because it's what God does. Second point is that hospitality matters because it's how we advance the gospel. So John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So this is the evidence that people can look at us and know that we're God's disciples, is if we love each other. So if that's, if that's going to be our proof to the world that we follow Christ, then our love for each other has to be something truly special. And so we need to be people who you know, are, are an Acts 2 kind of church, that we're sharing life together, breaking bread together, living joyfully with one another, dealing with conflict, um, and yeah, just treating each other with respect and dignity and, and serving one another above all. If we don't love people the way that Christ loved us, our gospel is meaningless. James 1, verses 26 to 27 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So our religion is, is worthless if it's, if it's not... Um, if we're not loving other people, looking after orphans and widows. And I want to read a passage from Isaiah too, just to kind of show us that this isn't just a, a New Testament philosophy where, you know, maybe God was angry and, and uh, only cared about the nation of Israel in, in the Old Testament. Um, I want us to see that, that this is the heart of God throughout all of Scripture, that we live like this. So listen to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 5 through 7. He says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So that's the kind of fast, the kind of life that God desires. The last point I want to make is that gospel matters, gospitality matters, because the end is near. So that sounds a little drastic, and I'll uh, unpack that a bit. So this is coming out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So usually when we hear the phrase, the end is near, we don't 
necessarily imagine it coming along with what Peter said. We would imagine something like cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes and hide and take care of your family and hope that you survive. Um, but what does Peter command? He says, be alert and of sober mind, love each other deeply and offer hospitality to one another without grump- grumbling. What does it even mean when Peter says the end is near? Because that was 2,000 years ago. Um, but Peter and, and these New Testament believers were living with the, the kingdom of God that was coming in mind. And who, they had no idea when exactly it would come, but they knew it was near. They knew that God was bringing about something new and that this kingdom had already come in part with Jesus and that it was going to come in full someday soon. And that's still true today, 2,000 years later. So we have to live uh, like the end is near. We have to live firmly planted in this world as we also patiently await the coming kingdom. And that demands that we give up our petty American dreams and that we devote all of our resources wholeheartedly to the kingdom of God. So I'd ask us, do you live like another kingdom is coming and that it's coming soon? Whether it comes in all its fullness here in our lifetimes or if 2,023 years later, faithful Christians are still waiting for that end, let's live our lives like that kingdom is coming soon. This kingdom that's already broken into your lives and into our church and is spreading throughout the whole world. So yeah, as as we extend hospitality to one another, we can continue to establish God's kingdom and, and prepare for its coming in all of its fullness. And so that's um, hopefully just a little teaser of why hospitality is something that we should all care about that should matter to all of us. So we're going to take five to ten minutes to break into some group discussions. Um, And so we have two questions. Uh, We'll have them up on the screen here. Um, So the two questions are, what's an example of how you see hospitality lived out in Scripture? And how have you personally seen hospitality lived out in others. So we're starting just looking at Scripture. So if you look at the life of Jesus, um, Christians in the New Testament, even Old Testament stories, how do you see hospitality lived out by, by people in Scripture? And then the second cr- question is taking it personally to your own life. So how have you personally seen hospitality lived out in others? So how have other people extended this to you and shown it to you? Um, or how have you seen them extending it to others in their life? So let's go ahead and break out into groups. Um, you can do groups of like five or six people. So just take your chairs, circle them up, and we will chat about these questions for five to ten minutes, and then Melissa will lead us in the next part after that. Okay, so at least I know that this side of the room had some good conversations. Y'all have good conversations over here? Cool. Sounds good. So I'm going to be talking about the second half of this, some of these questions about how do we orient our life more towards hospitality. So if you want to orient your chairs differently, (laughs) but don't get too comfortable because you'll go back to groups later. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just imagining some of y'all sitting like the entire time, like twisting your neck. <laughs> okay. So we've been having these conversations for a couple of months now, like since retreat. And so I've been eavesdropping on y'all. Um, no, I've been trying to keep an ear out for some of the things that have been barriers, some of the things that are just getting in the way of us practicing hospitality more. So this is kind of compiled from conversations that I've heard and that I've heard from other people hearing. Um, and I'm trying to speak pretty generally, just that's broadly applicable. Um, but if you would like to believe that I'm talking about you specifically, you are welcome to believe that. <laughs> I choose, choose to believe that's the spirit stepping on your toes. Um, and honestly, the first thing that I kind of heard in conversations was this thing of, do I care? Like, is this honestly a priority in my life? That at some level, it can be hard for us to prioritize loving other people. Shocking, right? Like, so often our hearts are oriented towards selfishness. And so hopefully, like, as you listen through the scriptures, as you read scripture, and as you encounter Jesus, you'll see that the life of a disciple is fundamentally oriented towards showing love towards other people and inviting people into God's community. And so I think that James covered this pretty well in the introduction. And, of course, all of the talks from fall retreat are on the website, so if you want to go back and listen to those fleshed out in more detail, as disciples, we're called to be living these invitational lives. So assuming we've got that foundation, that we've decided as a priority, I want to practice gospel hospitality, we still run into other barriers, right? There's other things that just get in our ways, and we have this goal we're going towards, and we keep tripping on things along the way. And again, I think it's important that we talk through this in community, not just to share our own burdens, but to know what other people in our community are struggling through so we can think about how do I help them? How do I serve them? How do I bring others alongside? And one of the things that I heard from a couple of conversations is just this thought of why would somebody want to spend time with me? Or a person believing I don't have anything to offer or looking at somebody else and thinking, our lives are so different. How could I invite them in? How could I relate? Or this broad kind of like anxiety or insecurity about just putting yourself out there. And that one, you know, I feel, I feel sad. Like I, I'm sad hearing that because I understand like I can emotionally resonate with that at times. Um, and there's just, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to just like, oh, you feel this way about it. Let me like drop a burden on you too. Let me make you feel worse about it. That's not the goal at all. But I think at times we're just building up our expectations a little too high. Like we want to be impressive. We want to be a value add. We want to say, I have the right thing to say to a person. I am the best cook. I have the best house. We want to be all that in a bag of chips. And we're not. We don't have to be. Apologies for the dated language, but that's the, that's the phrase that came to mind. Um, so there's this element that sometimes we're trying to gain our value from how others perceive us. Instead of knowing deeply in our hearts that we are precious, we are made in God's image, and our value comes from that. And so there's something in there that I just want us to, to, to be able to like rest deeply in knowing who did God make us to be, that we have that value. Paul wrote in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. And we are created in Jesus Christ to do good works. 
So we're made, like that's why we're made, to go show love to people, to do good things. So each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, and we have that infinite value already baked into us because of how God made us. So that means that each of you has something so valuable to offer other people, regardless of how you perceive yourself. Like God says that you had that value. Scripture is packed with people who think that God can't use them. It's putting God in a tiny box, right? Like thinking, oh, God, send somebody else. I can't speak well. Send somebody else. That's doubting God's ability to use you. So again, I I pray that each of us knows that God has made us in his image, and God is powerful enough to use us, regardless of who you think you are, regardless of what your past may be. Our creator is powerful enough to work through that, through God's grace. So I hope that all of us view that. And again, I think a lot of times we just build it up too big, you know? Like in friendship, in living invitationally, it's so simple to be a friend to a person. You just care deeply and ask questions and get to know them. And you don't need to have the like the perfect answer. You don't need to solve people's problems. Most people, what we deeply need is the gift of presence, the gift of somebody spending time with us, caring about us, wanting to know what's actually going on in a person's life. And you don't have to look at a person's life and say, wow, they have so much history, so much trauma. Like, I can't fix that. You don't, that's not your problem. That's God's responsibility to work with that person. We're called to love people and show love and just be there. Another barrier that I hear quite a bit is that just the physical and financial challenges, um, that there's a theme here of maybe my apartment's too small or it's just so expensive or I live too far away from people or I don't have time. And again, there was something in there. I took a, a note on what James was highlighting. That verse from First Peter, um, like whatever gift you've received from God to serve others. James, what was the First Peter reference? First Peter 4, 7. Yeah, that, I wish I had that one in my main notes. Um, like whatever God's given us, we can serve other people with that. Or I thought about the story of the widow's might, which is in Mark 12 or Luke 21, that God sees how we're giving, um, like out of her poverty, she gave all she had. She gave so much. And other people, it looks like they're throwing a lot of money into the collection plate. And it's like, they barely notice, like it's not a big deal in their budgets. So God sees what we have, and God sees how we're sacrificing out of that. And again, I think there's this danger of wanting to be impressive instead of saying, God has given me this gift, and I will use it to serve others. So it's this fundamental heart-level orientation of, am I open, am I invitational towards others? Am I looking to how to serve others, how to show God's love to those? How can I show hospitality by bringing others alongside where I am? There was the, the principle of not reaping to the edges of your fields because we get so excited by Israelite agricultural laws. It's interesting, even in the midst of something as dry as Israelite agricultural laws, that there's a principle there that God says, like, don't reap to the edges of your field. Leave something for those in need. In our lives, in our schedules, Don't go packing every single day. Sometimes I look at my calendar and I'm like, 
I filled up every moment. I have done, like, packed my calendar with things that keep me busy, but am I leaving space to be God's hands and feet in the moment, like if something comes up? So leave space in our schedules. And I'm trying to be not too specific here, just because we have such a wide range of individual situations in this body. I think about how I can feel overwhelmed sometimes with just the, the joys of home ownership and having a job and trying to have a handful of friends. And then I think, how do people who are keeping small humans alive do it? <laughs> like, sometimes it's hard enough being an adult, much less, again, I'm so impressed by all the parents in the room. And so I don't want to be so specific about, oh, so how do you make space in your life for other people and that? Um, but I do want you to make space for that in your breakout groups. And I also hope that each of us have close friends who we're sharing that with, that it's not just, oh, I live my life and my schedule by myself, and I'm not opening my calendar to other people. I hope that in our close friendships, we're being transparent about our time and our priorities, and if that matches our lives. I have a little side quest here, um, somewhat related, is the question of, are we willing to accept hospitality from others? We talk a lot about showing hospitality, but sometimes we can get into this position where it's like, oh, I want to be the one to serve others and help others, instead of letting a community have a full flow of, no, we need to accept friendship as well. We need to accept that from others and let community be truly robust in that way. Um, I think there's so much value in accepting other people into your homes, regardless of the state of the house. Um, and not living in isolation or not living in shame about that. I thought I was going to talk for, I was told, make a five-minute talk, and it turned into 15, and I'm trying to keep it under 15. <laughs> so I'm skipping some things um, to get to the last thing I wanted to address, just as a common theme that I've heard in conversations. Um, and again, I do not have time to do this well, but I've heard some of those conversations about the issue of safety, and I really appreciated how blunt, painfully blunt, our guest speaker, Bill Watson, was at our retreat, talking about how Jesus did not live a safe life. The life of Jesus literally led to his execution. We are called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And so at a baseline, at a discipleship level, we have to be prepared for that. And then we think about how, especially the parents in the room, are called to protect their families and care about their families deeply. And so we have to be you know, wise in that regard. As the, It's one thing to say, oh, single person, you go pick up your cross. But what does it look like? Are, are you literally sacrificing the safety of your family? Um, and so I wanted to highlight that because that is a conversation I've heard from quite a few people that I think is worth having. And I've got three sub-points on that that I will go through very quickly. So my three points are book, statistics, people. That will keep me on track. Um, actually, in our women's book group last month, Brianna led us through this book, Fearing Bravely. I'll read out the full title. Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. And this book addresses a lot of that, this balance of, you know, how do you have a heart-level orientation, showing love towards people, being aware of the dangers out there, being aware that our fear can cause the dangers at time, and also not being, like, chained to fear, 
while still taking seriously what God has given us. So that's a lot. Clearly, I cannot talk about it well in this in this mini talk. Um, but I think that's a topic that if it resonates with you, if this point resonates with you, then I would strongly recommend this book. Um, and also, without consulting with Brianna, I'm just volunteering her for conversations too. Feel good about that? <laughs> Great. Um, you've got all the answers. Perfect. I'm glad somebody does. Um, and one of the things that shows up in this book, this is the second subpoint: statistics. Um, I had to cut out most of my notes here because the problem is I literally teach this for a living. Um, there's just this big gap between our perceptions of risk and the reality of risk, which is not at all comforting if you're the person who has been on the bad end of that. You know, if you've been closely impacted by something dangerous, then it's not very comforting to say, oh, well, the, the risk in general isn't that big. That said, there is a huge gap there. Um, sometimes I'll do a, you know, asking a bunch of students, again, college students, asking their perceptions on is crime increasing or what's the murder rate or all of these different things or what cities are dangerous. Again, huge gap between the reality, what our perceptions are. And there's something in there about what particularly our media impacts us on this one. I was part of a presentation last year that talked about specifically true crime podcasts and its impact on people. So apologies to the true crime fan fans in the room. Um, but it does impact how we view the world. And so I'm curious about why you fear what you fear. Are you filling your heart with something like media that's promoting fear or sensational accounts? And what, what's the fruit of that? Is it bringing you closer to God or is it creating a culture of fear of what's going on in the room? So anyway, listen to the podcasts I like, not the ones you like. <laughs> yes, thank you for the laugh. Um, and then the last one, again, I did not check with any of the people before saying this, but the third point is people. Again, if this point about safety resonates deeply with you, I think about like all of the elders in our church are people who have set really good examples of being invitational while also, ha you know, having families and caring deeply about their families. Um, how do you live in a way that invites people into your homes and also is wise as it relates to the people in your homes? So I would say, talk to Bob, talk to Glenn, talk to JVR, and then talk to Joy and talk to Stacy and talk to Christine, make sure they all line up. Um, but like, how do they live that out? So you feel great about being volunteered for that? Conversations? They love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so Stacy feels great about it. Um, because I think that their experiences and their stories will be so much more powerful than I could ever share about that. So that is more of my time than I wanted to spend. Um, but for our next set of breakouts, I want us to talk through some of these. Like, which of these barriers to hospitality resonate with you? Which of these are things that you've struggled with? Um, and then are there things that God is calling you to sacrifice in order to live a more invitational life? So that, that's on the screen? Cool. Um, so circle up again, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes.